Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, and I run Strength Guild and USSF and amongst other amazing things. So. And this is John Mike. I'm completing my Ph.D. in exercise phys. I've uh, competed in strongman several times, and i um, a columnist and team member for EliteFTS.com, and I love to eat. Yeah, that's <laughs> key. That is key. We did our share of eating at the strength camp. That was uh, – that was good. You know, the yeah. waitress came by, Phil. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and she's not used to watching people annihilate that much food that fast. Yeah. And she's like, I've never seen one of those disappear that fast. You know? Yeah. It's just funny. It was good times. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, everyone, we're actually going to offer some audio clips, actually, from some of the attendees at the Topeka Strength Camp that just happened uh, after the break. But before then, we've got some uh, news and listener mail and that sort of thing. Let me start with a little bit of listener mail. Some of this is fun. Um, It says guys of iron radio uh, doing my morning workout and listening to the most recent episode with Rob. uh, This is last week's while I appreciate um, John and Mike T Nelson. In fact, sometimes I think of them as one. Ha ha. I think it's because you guys came on the show at the same time. Um, it says, it's nice to hear Rob uh, now and again when he can get on the show. Um, it says, on the topic, I've only been at it seriously for a little over a year. Uh, by the way, the topic being uh, last week, of course, we talked about what your family thinks you know, of your training and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, it says, on the topic, uh, I've only been at it seriously for a little over a year, but my family has always been supportive. My wife especially has been very supportive. Working out three to five times a week, one to two hours per session, as you know, adds up, and it isn't easy if you have a family. With that said, she has only a limited interest in the training itself. My coworkers and friends just do not get it and mostly mock my interest. That's why you guys via your podcast play such an important role in my training life. Uh, As always, I appreciate the content, Paul. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah. Thank you, man. You know what? It is um it is tough. Uh I, I think he was talking about coworkers and whatnot because uh Rob and I were touching on how in some jobs your coworkers probably either don't care or they think it's cool, but uh, John, as you know, like in academic settings, it's not always a comfy fit. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I mean yeah, and and that's that's something that I think has um has always been in academia for the last dozen plus you know, a couple of decades. I mean, if you think back to the, you know, the paradigm and the transition of just like training and exercise, I mean, in, in the sixties and seventies, it was, it was bodybuilding in the eighties, it was powerlifting and then started the big aerobic craze. Um, and then the nineties, you know, bodybuilding was still there. Then powerlifting was also there. Then, you, then, you know, strongman started to become a lot more popular, but really in, in academics, it really hasn't been that broad 
um, of a brush, so to speak. It's always been just endurance, flexibility, body composition, and more endurance, cardiovascular this, cardiovascular that. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but and I've always just taken it back to just the, the rudimentary aspects, right? I mean, if you look at the basic components of fitness, you know, flexibility, body comp, strength, endurance, um, you know, flexibility, you know, or whatever. And, and we, as a, as a, for academics, it's always been like heavily on like two or three of them and, and, and strength being like kind of, you know, way over on the back burner. And I, and I think over the last just, probably 10 to 15 years, you've seen a lot more um, academia, uh, academians um, get into more of the fitness and bodybuilding and, and strength parameters. But yeah, but you're right. I mean, you, you go into any department across the country and, you know, when, when you're someone, you know, like me, who's almost six forward and, you know, 300 pounds, it's like, God, it's just like, it's like you're in a foreign country, you know. Yeah, they um, just don't, they can't process it. In fact, on the Chronicle of Higher Education, I've actually seen articles about professors that were bodybuilders and things like that. And I think it's because yeah. it's the it's sort of that shock value, like oh wow, these people do that. And last week we were talking about there's one of the uh, professors on my campus. Um, she's deadly serious about competing in like bikini and fitness and that sort of thing. And we we're talking, Rob and I, about. You know how I've got about I've got at least six or eight at least people swing by my office to talk shop about supplements and contest prep and that sort of thing. And the truth is, you're never going to separate hypertrophy even from the strength sports. You know, like I, to me, it seems like in a lot of the strength conditioning channels, it's a lot about, frankly, the conditioning side. You know, and. I don't know. Sometimes I almost feel like the hypertrophy doesn't get as much attention. But uh, just like at last week's strength camp out there with Phil, I mean, you're never going to completely separate hypertrophy from performance, you know, because people who train a lot, they're going to start to look different. I mean, there were some guys at the camp there who were, you know, both interested in Olympic lifts and uh, bodybuilding stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, it's hard and, to separate. And, and, and you know, nowadays you have a lot more of like assistant professors of PhDs and even like master's guys and master's programs and doctorate programs in exercise science and kinetics that have competition background, they have competition experience and they, and they currently compete and they, and they lift a lot more. I mean, you look at programs like Florida, Florida Atlantic University. I mean, most of their guys, they have a strength lab and almost all the guys compete in powerlifting. Um, mm -hmm. and the guys, uh, people from Baylor University. I mean, look at guys like Darren Willoughby. I mean, he was a bodybuilder. I mean, he's still clearly, a guy. Uh, <laughs> clearly, you know, so, yeah, exactly. So uh, they're, 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 it's more common these days, um, but it's still not as big as the, the people in other programs. They just want to focus on um, anything like butt strength because, I, and I think the strength stuff has gotten a lot more popular just because um, you know masters and doctorate individuals. That their interests have just spawned more into that. Yeah, um, so, yeah. but but yeah, I know what you make is Lana. You know, you've experienced it yourself, and you'll go into walk into a lab or teach, and people are like, oh, you know, why, why are you eating something from a Tupperware? What yeah, you know? right. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, hey, I've got another uh, listener mail before we get on to just a little dab of news. Um, before we do, Phil, when you were in grad school, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Were you heavily lifting then? I mean, because yeah. I mean that's art student. I don't well, know. What yeah, the... and I was also, you know, at that point, I was probably the deepest in diet I had ever been. So it was like carrying everything, like anything I ate was prepared beforehand and, and carried around. So yeah, I was definitely an oddball. Yeah, know? because you get into art school and it's like 
junk food and alcohol. Right, cigarettes, <laughs> and, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I was like the polar opposite of that. So, yeah, I, I definitely – I stood out in more than one way in an art school. So Right, well. <clears throat> so there's, here's another one uh, you guys will probably um, have something to say about. Um, I made a comment also last week about – and I've made this comment before. Uh, there's this, you know, group of sort of quasi Olympic lifter guys in the back room of the gym where I train, and you know, they sort of set up shop back there. And to be honest, right now I'm not really trying to spend a two hour squat session. You know what I mean? So it's just not really worth it for me to wait in line or jostle next to these guys to try to get in. You know my. Uh, five sets of squats, you know what I mean? Especially when I've got stuff here at home now. I'm literally starting to think about maybe I'll just squat at home and then just do accessory stuff at the gym. But I feel like I have to go to the gym. Anyway, times have changed, like you were saying, John, in the different eras. You know, bodybuilding, um, powerlifting became the aerobic craze. And, you know, now there's this, like, super intensity calisthenics kind of thing until you fall over kind of uh, phase and but So let me read you this email. This is from John from the Metro D.C. area. I think it struck a chord when I was talking about um, some of these guys setting up shop around the squat rack, you know, that the powerlifters and the bodybuilders used to sort of own. It says, Lonnie, I listened to the most recent show and your comments on how your gym uh, had an increase in the Olympic-type lifter, uh, making it difficult for you to get in your workout. Well, let me tell you, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so here we go. I am familiar with most of the gyms in my area since I've always carried two gym memberships at any given time. Uh, and every two years or so, I might drop one membership and join a different gym just to mix it up. What I have noticed over the last seven years or so has been that most gyms have added CrossFit and Olympic lifting equipment at the detriment of the freeway area, the freeway equipment. The pre-existing gyms have either moved the freeway equipment closer together uh, crowding the gym floor and taking away valuable real estate that was once used for things like uh, walking lunges or farmer's walks, or they have simply removed some of the plate-loaded equipment. It's, interested, uh, it's interesting, however, that they have not removed any of the selectorized or cable machines, only the plate-loaded machine stuff. I have been in a gym uh, where there isn't any space remaining to do any standing movements at all. So if you're not on a bench or a machine, then you are literally standing in a walkway. And it never used to be like this prior to the CrossFit slash Olympic fad. I understand we all need to get along. But in one instance, I have seen the CrossFit and Olympic groups bring their own boombox and play it so loud that it interferes with both the overhead gym music as well as my own headphones. The CrossFitters like to work out in groups, so they move equipment around and spread out their kettlebells, Olympic bars, jump ropes, plyo boxes, rowers, battle ropes, and whatever else their wad calls for. After they drop their bumper plates from overhead to the floor, then they sprint through the walkways, past the benches and the squat racks. I find this highly distracting when you have several people sprint within uh, three feet of you when you're trying to stay focused with a bar over your head or your chest or on your back. Uh, then there are the people who jump rope directly in front of uh, the one and only power rack and then cycle through pull-ups and push-ups inside the rack uh, and then go back to jumping rope. And don't even get me started about the guy who hangs his gravity boots on the power rack uh, and comes back to do hanging crunches while he is resting from his kettlebell swings. Um, 
all in all, this has caused me to have a less than favorable outlook on the CrossFit and Olympic lifting community as I believe they should belong to their own specific purpose box gym. And then he says, let the flaming begin. Again, John <laughs> Metro, do you see? This, I, I understand in a way, but I also, yeah. at the same time, I'm like, dude, this guy would hate my place. Because, <laughs> I mean, I forget who, it was Dal who came down and, and deadlifted 700 pounds um, for his first time this, at the camp. And he's like, he came in early on Friday and got to watch my clients. And he's like, it is like controlled chaos in here. <laughs> you yeah. know, very chaotic, but at the same time, everybody knows what they're doing. You know, and I'm able to point people in different ways, but it's nothing to have, you know, five Olympic lifters lined up and then kids over here lifting and then, you know, carrying balls. And then they'll have them, I'll have them run out in the other room and do laps. <clears throat> you know, but yeah. I don't know the, the sense that I got, though, at your facility, yeah. though, is you sort of compartmentalize it where people aren't yeah, they're not really interfering with each other, you know. No. And they've been trained well to like if an Olympic lifter is lifting, you don't go in front of them. You know, because that does nothing but mess them up mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, right. Yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely a controlled chaos environment. And, I mean, I think that's I, – I think part of that is being around athletics. You know, it's very different than, okay, I'm parking my ass here and staying here <clears throat> type of thing um, where they're bouncing around a lot to different different places. But, yeah. Well, I think you just, like John said, with that little sort of the history of the trends, your fads or whatever you want to call them, it is true. I wonder how much of this is going to go away. You know, like I was making a comment that when you're when you're in the middle of a five or ten year trend, it seems so permanent. Yeah. But is this going to go the way, you know, is the, the rush over the CrossFit slash Olympic lifting thing, you know, is that you know, five years from now, that could be gone like the way step aerobics was gone. And then what you're yeah. left with, you're left with that core, hardcore, like old timer group or maybe new timer. But you know what I mean? The um, I guess I could call it the old guard, but I don't, I don't mean just that by age. But the, the power lifters, the bodybuilders and, yes, the Olympic lifters yeah. who were there when it all started and they're going to be yeah. there when everybody well, else I is gone. I think our only hope as far as this trend goes is, yeah, I think it's it's on its it's it has reached or almost reached its peak. It can't yeah. keep going higher this fast but i think our best hope out of it is yeah it's it's gonna come down but i mean i would love to see more people stick to the olympic lifts and things like that because more people are doing it now than in this country than having a long time yeah and it's great to see people doing that i mean it's a sport this country needs to embrace more yeah and Um, go ahead phil no go ahead um but i think you know phil i I know you understand this and i and i think from from a business perspective you know that the um I'm not going to say that the days are over, so to speak, but I think the, the days of just having just a hardcore gym that's just bodybuilders or just that's all powerlifting, I, I think those have, have gone down a lot. I'm not going to say that they're over, um, but I think from a business perspective, you have to cater to – unfortunately, you have to cater to the masses. Yeah, you do. You know, because you can't, you can't sustain a business – um, you know, small business uh, that in and of itself on you know just strongman people and just powerlifters because we have – the gym, one of the gyms that I go to, you know, we have we have powerlifters, we got strongman, and just in the last uh, about the last year or so, um, they've put in some CrossFit stuff, and uh, you know, we have people doing that, you know, three days a week during those classes, and you know, you have to generate revenue somehow, you can, yeah. you know, and, and that's just what draws people, and that's and and you know, we've always talked about. 
and you know, CrossFit, and, and you know, it does have detrimental effects. But I think one of the good things about it, um, even though I personally don't do it, but one of the good things about it is that it has drawn people in to train that otherwise wouldn't do anything. So it does create a camaraderie, you know, within people. So well, I think up to know, a point because I, I point well taken um, from this listener mail though that it's always if they come in a group. And it's a close knit group, and they're not very inclusive of others. You know what I mean? They're blaring their music, and they spread their shit out all over the, you know, the power platforms mm-hmm. and stuff. I can see that driving some people away. I mean, yeah. even me, as salty as I am, and you know, and pushy, um, I, I'm not going to put up with that for very long. You know, I'll just yeah, squat I, at home. You know, I definitely would not try and mix Olympic lifting, strongman, and even powerlifting to a point in a commercial gym. It no, just yeah. they just don't fit. Yeah, you know, you have two way different bases of clientele there, and the one they're they're not going to like each other, and they're not going to get along. Yeah. But Phil, that's one of the problems with a lot of big box gyms is mm-hmm. that I know it's two two of the places that I train back home, and, and it's a it's a local uh, chain gym, but one of the locations they have a huge, um, you know, CrossFit area, and um, it, you know, I, I've heard in the past that some of the gym managers kind of just want that to be just the gym. They don't want any anything else. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, how are you going to sustain you know, like a multi-million dollar business just yeah, on that? And the fact is you can't because just like you said, you have a wide variety of clientele, mm-hmm. right? You have to cater to try to everybody. And, you know, you, you need more than one fucking squat rack, yeah. you know? It's right, just, it's just, right. That's part of it. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know what? Though? I think there are so few, um, I mean, in any given area, unless you're in a pretty big metro area, there's only going to be, a, at the most, I think, a couple of dozen uh, strongmen, powerlifters, and bodybuilders that are going to fill your ranks. Like you're saying, you you can't ignore uh, some of these other people. I mean, especially the guys who they get into Olympic lifting and they start doing it more legitimately, you know, and following the pure faith a little bit and that sort of thing. But on the same token, I can see uh, what the listeners saying about you. Also, I'm not sure you should completely retool your gym, you know, and just ditch half the stuff, yeah. you know, that the your, <laughs> your core uh, customers use and just, you know, create this free-for-all where people are lifting in the hallway or God knows what just to try to accommodate the CrossFitters. Yeah, you definitely need the room for it, and that's the one difference I have. I mean, we're, we got – there's a lot of stuff going on, but there's a lot of open space. You know, we have one room that is just open, <clears throat> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And – yeah, I, I've, I've I've catered to and built it around that. So I, there wasn't like a big change. It was just slow additions to to what we got going right. on. And, and you know what, too? Because of the club environment, John, you're talking about what I call 80s gyms, you know, the bodybuilding powerlifter style, style gyms. And maybe it's not fair to call them 80s gyms because it wasn't just in the 80s, but uh, that's it, it, the sort of gym I grew up in, you know. Mm-hmm. But, Phil, what you do is the, that club-type environment um, – you really got to have somebody set the stage like you do. Like you're never going to let a group of six or eight or ten CrossFitters come in and ruin what the powerlifters are trying to do. No, you and just do whatever that. they want. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that is a big difference. Like you can't just sign up to my gym for nineteen ninety five a month and come do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, you know, you you come in and I am like the ringleader of it. Right, it's coaching. It's like, okay, where am I going today? You're going right over there because he's over there. You know, right. so everybody is is coached. I mean, I I do drop ins and we get one occasionally, but and I still I tell them, there's your spot. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. once you're moving to something else, ask me where you where where you can go. Yeah, you know, so. that's what I mean by club environment, where you actually have yeah. some experienced coaches 
Yeah. It's not just for the the skill development itself. Like you said, it's to coordinate who goes where. Yes. You know. It's not just walk in, do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> and that's the problem that a lot of big box gyms have yes. have CrossFit. They're trying to mix the two. areas exactly. If they don't have somebody in there that's that's kind of like this controlled, you know, mm-hmm. chaos or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like people just go in, they do whatever they want, and then and then while guys like us or over there like lifting heavy who actually know what they're doing, we look over there and we're like, um, who's coaching you? <laughs> yeah. In, in other news, while we're on CrossFit, strength and muscle sport news. So, did you guys hear about the big to do about fifteen one? Do you know what fifteen one was? Yeah, I've heard of that, but it was that, is, that, is that like a challenge or throwdown? Or? Well, it, it's the first workout of the open. So there's fifteen one, fifteen two. Like this week, it's fifteen two. Came out Thursday. So fifteen one was the first workout of the open. That's how you earn your way to regionals. Fifteen one. I'll, I'll set it up here. So they came out, and fifteen one was um, fifteen toes to bar, ten deadlifts, five snatches for six minutes, or no. For, geez, how long? Well, anyway, a certain amount of minutes. I think it was nine. Yeah, nine minutes AMRAP. And then you had six minutes after that, immediately following that, to hit a max clean and jerk. Jeez. So they mm. came out, and I don't mind that workout. It wasn't that bad. I mean, sure, you're going to be fatigued, but it wasn't any loads that were crazy. Okay. Like the girls were snatching 65 pounds. Okay. And, or, mm. you know, it was, it was fairly light. Um, so, anyways, they, they set this up, and somebody asked. The, the ringleader there, the guy, that Castro, who's always doing all the um, announcements for CrossFit. Like, what, what do you think about cherry-picking this workout? Like, if somebody were to come in and not try very hard on 15, the first part, the, the AMRAP, save their energy and hit a max clean and jerk that was huge. Because what it was was one point for every rep on the AMRAP and then one point for pound on the clean and jerk. And he's like, yeah, you could do that. I, you know, I think it'd be frowned upon a little bit because it's just – it's just not doing the workout right. But, yeah, people could do that. And he's like, but you're going to get beat by people like Froning and this and that, you know, because these guys are so good you have to work in hard in both of them to, to be able to do well. Well, anyways, a bunch of athletes from other, other realms came in and just did just that. Like one of them was uh, Matt Vincent, who's Highland Games uh, world champion. He came in and on the AMRAP literally did one toe-to-bar. <laughs> and then he rested for nine minutes. And hit a massive clean and jerk. And there were 20 of these guys, and like eight of them ranked in the top 10 oh, of the boy. world. So they came out afterwards and like expunged all their scores, said they don't count because they cherry picked, even though they said it was okay to cherry pick. Um, you know, they basically, oh, well, that's poor rules development. Yes. You know, like a bunch of our guys got beat. We're now kicking all these 20 athletes out. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, crap about that. It's like, come on, man. It's not like they should have let it stay because, you know, 15-2 came out, and it's just nothing but endurance. It's a like good sports. You know, it wouldn't have mattered in the end. Like, like Mike is not going to do 15-2 and do any good at it because it's like it's nine minutes of just going really fast. Yeah, you know? right. So it would have equaled itself out. He'd have been like 180,000th place. You know, after right. this workout. Well, you so. know what, dude? That's the cardinal sin of changing the rules mid-game. Mid-game. You, you exactly. cannot do that. You, you know, you let, them, yes. you let them game the system, even if it's a loophole, and then you, you change it so it doesn't happen again next time. Yes, you yeah, change but, it like, next Guys, like, imagine if, if you're changing the rules mid-game for powerlifting or strongman. Oh, people, yeah. People will go freaking nuts. Oh, yes. they would. And justifiably. Yeah. Yes. You know. 
Wow. Or even bodybuilding. Yeah. Now, Phil, was that, that, that was, the, a... was that what you were talking about related to the Arnold weekend? or No. Or was that something else? And then I got more on the Arnold. Okay. So, um, the Arnold Classic. So event number one was the Austrian Oak. Um, Big Z one. Yeah. yeah, which is the log press. So he only, were, did, like, he only did like four. I mean, I'm not going to say only, but uh, I mean, he's done more. He did, I think he did like 460. Did you watch it? Yeah. Well, it's just, he did like four easy reps, though. Yeah. So what happened was you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys made it up to 385 on the log. And the best was six reps. And Big Z just said, I'm going to go ahead and go 450. So all he had to do was hit one rep to beat these guys. Um, because any any rep at a higher weight beats reps at a lower weight. So, and he just went ahead and did four just for the hell of it, just to show off. So, yeah. you know, it's four fifty on a log is stupid. And I mean, he was it was damn near strict pressed. Uh, I know, so. like he's done like close to five hundred with like very little leg drive. Yeah. I mean, oh it's, just, it's disgusting what he's able to well, do. Well, and how long he's been doing it? You know, he's know. not a spring chicken. So. <laughs> um, and then uh, event number two was the timber carry, so it's like a really big frame carry. Yeah. And uh, Half Thor took first on that. And Zavikas looks like came in third, I think. But after after day one, it is, I think Half Thor's in first. And he's a monster. Oh, Gosh. yeah, he's just huge. Yeah. No, Zavikas is in first, and uh, Half Thor's in, tied for second. And Shaw is in a very close third so you know that's one thing about the arnold versus like world's strongest man i mean the arnold is 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 less events but they're just so much heavier than world's strongest man i mean world's strongest man it goes over the course of a week you know you have like you know 12 events and and most things you know especially the last several years most things are for reps and for time versus the arnold is Mm -hmm. is less events but they're way heavier yeah really Uh, heavy yeah super heavy i mean we're talking you know like you know 530 stone, you yeah. know, like head max log. Um, you know, the frame carry in and of itself is like, a, you know, 1200, you know, whatever yeah. it would be. Well, just, that's, the, that's the neat thing about Zavikas because it used to be like who won the Arnold usually didn't win World's Strongest Man. Yeah. And he's been able to pull them both off. You know, <laughs> he's been really strong and been able to do well at the, or well enough at the moving events. So, um, so for our listeners, um, the first news bit was about CrossFit, right? This is yeah. at the Arnold. This is technically it is technically strongman. It's just a variant of strongman. Is that what we're talking no, about? No, this is strongman. Yeah, it's a strongman yeah. competition. Okay, so. okay. And they have everything going on. They got you know now. Hell, I think they got cup stacking and chess even at the Arnold. Yeah, they have a little bit of everything, man. But um, you oh, know, no. the Arnold yeah. strongman competition is one that a lot of people follow. So, right. But, um, I heard the weather there is horrible this weekend too. So. Down in Columbus, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I got from there from the Arnold. Okay, well, I've got one last little bit of news. This is a little more brief, and then uh, we'll go to break, and then we'll we'll check in with some of the audio from uh, the strength camp last week. This is from Science Daily, and I remember talking, John. You made a comment uh, last time about there always seems to be this drive among scientists to create a pill or make a discovery where you don't have to exercise anymore and they're back at it so here this week it says um newly discovered hormone mimics the effects of exercise this is from a press release from the university of southern california 
It says scientists have discovered a new hormone that fights the weight gain caused by high-fat Western diet and normalizes metabolism, uh, effects that are normally associated with exercising. Uh, when tested in mice, because again, right now it's rodent studies, but bear with me here, um, the hormone blocked the negative health effects of eating a high-fat diet. Now, I think it's weird that they keep saying high-fat diet is what's bad about the, the Western diet. Yeah, I would so argue I'm it's the sugar. It I'm always thinking about sugar and Yeah, carbs. yeah. Uh, it just, it's almost like the healthcare authorities, they can't get off the fat-free, low-fat bandwagon. You know, they just can't do it. It's out of tune with what's going on. It is out of tune a little bit. But let me uh, give you some of the details. It says, scientists at the USC Leonard Davis School of Gerontology have discovered a new hormone that fights weight gain caused by, again, this high-fat Western diet. Again, I would argue fructose and some other things are at work here. But um, uh, the newly discovered hormone dubbed MOTS-C, so all caps, M-O-T-S, lowercase c primarily targets muscle tissue now this is interesting where it restores insulin sensitivity so a lot of people might not be familiar but insulin insensitivity is sometimes called pre-diabetes and various things lead to that but muscle contractions overcome that a lot of times right because you actually i'm not going to bore anybody with glute four but there's yeah. different there's changes in a muscle that allow it to take up blood sugar and you don't need yeah. insulin as much uh and that sort of thing so you can dispose of carbohydrates where they belong right 70 percent or so of the carbs you eat should end up in muscle tissue as glycogen not sort of overspilling and being turned into triglycerides and stored as fat anyway it says um this uh, is apparently a major advance, according to uh, Pinchus Cohen, dean of the USC um, Davis School and senior author uh, on a study that will appear in Cell Metabolism on March 3rd. So this is spanking new stuff. Uh, it says, to test the effects of MOTS-C, the team injected the hormone into mice that were fed, uh, you know, a bad diet, um, typical Western diet, um, which typically causes them to grow obese and to develop insulin resistance. Uh, the injections of MOTS-C not only suppressed both of these effects in mice, but they also reversed age-dependent insulin resistance, a condition that precedes diabetes. Uh, this discovery sheds new light on mitochondria and positions them as active regulators of metabolism. Now, most people that are familiar with their biology at all know that mitochondria are little powerhouses of your cells. Of course, aerobic athletes have more of that. Uh, more mitochondrial density and all that sort of thing. But this is apparently a mitochondrial hormone. So it's not a hormone that's um, derived, you know, in the blueprint of your DNA and your nucleus and all that. This is coming from the powerhouse itself. So they're, they're messing with this mitochondrial hormone uh, to try to restore insulin sensitivity. And even though it's only in mice, I said I would get to this, um, it says MOTS-C intellectual property has already been licensed to a biotech company and clinical trials in humans are planned for the next three years wow. cohen said so this is if you want the actual journal reference because i think that's important it's lee and colleagues the title is the mitochondrial derived peptide mots c promotes metabolic homeostasis and reduces obesity and insulin resistance and that's cell yeah, metabolism yeah, that's 2015 you know, Lonnie, you know this as much as I do. That's one thing about animal studies. It's like you just got to take it with like a pure little tiny grain of salt because the the, the application, the transferability to humans is, is 
is not very correlated for in a lot of for ways. Some, it depends you know? on what. I agree. Yes. I mean, my it, dissertation, yes, uh, I was looking at CLA and you know conjugated linoleic acid. I had a student ask me about this recently. It does wonders in mice. They lose like half their body fat in eight weeks. It's it's absurd. Yeah, people silly. just don't respond like that. You know. Yeah. But. That's okay. We'll probably see that on the black market in like six point five weeks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as you know, as soon as the biotech be. starts making it in batches. Yep. Yeah. Right. <sighs> It'll yep. be out on the black market for people to try out. So. Yeah. Well. <sighs> anyway, so that's the listener mail uh, and the news and. Um, I guess we'll go to break, and then we'll just share some stuff uh, from uh, the strength camp that went on in Topeka. Sounds good. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, Lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – Uh, That would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, Iron Radio listeners, we are back, and... We've got some audio clips uh, from around the uh, the Strength Guild workshop that happened in Topeka, Kansas last week. Uh, we'll start with a few of the um, comments by some of the speakers and the coaches that were there at the event. And then we'll actually go out onto the floor where people were practicing different lifts. They have different goals. And we'll ask them about 
you know, what they felt was a challenge, what was interesting, what they were learning, uh, that sort of thing. Now, importantly, some of this was recorded at a distance. The speakers were out uh, on the floor uh, in the facility. So if you don't like the quality of the audio in this first several minutes, skip forward uh, to the point where we're actually interviewing people on the floor uh, and maybe a few things at the end with the uh, caffeine seminar that was actually done after a lot of the lifting, uh, and you'll get some better audio. Uh, So we're going to go to some of these audio clips and... um, We'll see everybody next week. Cheers, guys. You know, one of the things, I think whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, one of the things that's talked about the imbalance thing or weaknesses is that it's more boring to work on your weaknesses. It's fun to work on your strengths. So you you got to force yourself to go do that. Like I said, I don't care if it's you're trying to bring up a leg muscle or, you know, a sticking point in a lift or something like that. The, you know, the reward mechanism just isn't really there. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a little reward because you're you're getting better, but there's nothing showy, really fun. You don't feel like you're dominating. You know, you're you're doing something that's by definition weak. And I think it's, it takes a lot of maturity to deal with that. At one point, when I was well, Phil and I were both heavily involved with like the T Nation website, and, you know, doing that kind of stuff and providing lots of content and controlling the boards and all that kind of, and that was a pretty big study. And when I was sort of done with them for various reasons, I, I even wrote an article for them last year. I, I don't dislike those guys necessarily. In fact, I really like Christian Garvin, some of those guys. But the point being is um, the option is sort of put up a web page with like my resume, and I see people do this, like get in touch with me if you need something or you know to try to stay networked. Or actually do something productive instead. And so, like Rob and I used to work at a, a very startup, very edgy magazine called Peak Training Journal. And it was very hardcore bodybuilding, powerlifting kind of stuff. There was, you know, it was back in the day where there was lots of pictures in the mags, like with different, and, and what anabolics were fake and this and that. And the articles were very edgy. And, and But every time we went to go to print that, you know, it cost $30,000, you know. And... You don't have that anymore. Well, you know, technology and podcasting, I mean, uh, we do show up. I mean, Phil calls, you know, I sit down at the computer on Saturday morning, and sometimes I don't feel like doing it necessarily. But, you know, Phil calls, and it's really not that hard. So you can do a lot of good with not a huge time investment. You know what I mean? So I like that give back. Instead of just a resume, you're doing something productive. You know what I mean? And I think, I think we also all agree that if only... We could have, you know, like that question about 15 years ago, if I could have gone back 25 years ago, I'd say, boy, eat, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, that, so you could see there's consistency in the messages. And I'll tell you, once someone said, I don't know if it's one of somebody here or not, but somebody said, you guys agree with each other a little bit too much, but I think that's because when you're around a lot of, you know, people, I mean, like, when it comes to certain things, when you're right, you're right, you can't expect, it's too much of fitness, it makes shit up to try to create a niche. And I mean, if it's right, you're right. I mean, calories are anabolic, you know what I mean? Eat, you know, and stuff like that. Or get strong, basic movements, compound movements, you know, and that kind of stuff. And those are messages I wish I would have got when I was 16. If I wasted a whole lot of time, you know, I was just at a negative calorie balance. I was spinning my wheels, you know, and I think we prevented some damage now. Was it, or the comment was about consistency. Um, there's actually a web comic 
It has nothing to do with what we do here. You know what I mean? But my son and I were into stuff. Like, you know, he's into video games, and you know, and, uh, there's a big convention. It's called PAX. PAX East, PAX West. It's a big video game convention, and it grew. I mean, it sells out gigantically. You know what I mean? Every year, and it came from this web comic, and they asked the guy. What made you different? And he said, one word, consistency. And I mean, excited amateurs, pod fade. I mean, that's, I'm going to make a t-shirt out of that. You know, excited amateurs, pod fade. And we didn't. Why? We're not excited amateurs. You know what I mean? So it makes it a little bit easier to do that because I think early on, Phil and I might have had a conversation about, why don't we just record these phone calls? You know, because there's, I think there's some gold nuggets in there. And that's, yeah. That's something we agreed on kind of from day one, is we're just going to plug in. We're not going to miss week. It's Christmas week. Right. We're just going to do it, and we're going to keep it up. And, 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 I mean, the beauty of it was we knew from day one it wasn't the money. We were just doing it to do it, and we're going to put that out there. And I definitely, yeah, it definitely was one of those cases where it was more of a – the info I'm saying is um, what I wish somebody would quote me. If somebody would have told me what, what we're saying like 15 years before, then, you know, I wouldn't have spent, I, I could have missed things like uh, being stuck for three years at a 680 desert when, when I decided to finally eat and man the hell up within like a month and a half, I hit seven. Two months after that, I hit 725. Two months after that, you know, 750. You know, I could have skipped those long stalls by just, you know, if, if I heard somebody in my ear ringing, plus eat, just eat, you know? You're not doing any, you're not doing yourself any help by staying at 228 when you're six foot one and you should be 275. You know, I think what Bob's following up. That's what I think a podcast does too. It creates a sense of community. You hear someone's voice, and you know what I mean, and it does help create that because I know there's people all over. Some of the favorite, you know, letters I get from listeners are like, "I live by myself," or you know, "You guys seem to know more than my training bros." <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, and it, that's puts you in a community. Uh, I'm not going to go on about it. I almost launched into a discussion about primary and secondary community. <laughs> it's a secondary kind of community. It's not yeah. geographic. We're talking about like the arm class is a fun place to go. Why is that cool? Because people come out of the woodwork from all over the country in this community. It's not a geographic community, but these people are brothers and sisters in some way. It's freaky and sometimes it's might be. You know, and it's, it's kind of that kind of thing. You know, it's pretty yeah, it's, it's a, just this, it's a big, weird, drawn-out family. It's, it's weekends like this, like, I rarely get to see Lon, and it's a good reason to do that. And, I mean, I really, really, really enjoy, like, doing seminars and stuff like that. It is, you know, a passion. You can work at life and make a lot of money doing something you hate, or you can find your passion and go after it, and you may not get rich, which I'll likely never be rich. But I love every day. You know, I'll put in, you know, my average day is probably 16 hours long. But I love it. <laughs> so it's worth it. So, and, and this is what I want to do. I know that I think the podcast provides a sense of community. I, I, it's the same reason I was just talking about going to Japan or, you know, we're traveling all over the place. Even with university support, this is no small expense to do this kind of stuff. But why? Because I'm not going to sit in the crowd almost anything that I do and just watch someone else do it you know what I mean at some point go do it and that you guys are doers you know I think Dave Dave said something about 
there's three kinds of people. Do you remember that? What does he say? There's three kinds of people. There's winners, losers, and bystanders, or something like that. And I mean, that pigeonholes a lot of people. But, you know, yeah, you, I, I don't want to be a bystander. You know, and I think that's what you guys are not bystanders. You know, you're actually you're under a bar. You know, you're under a bar. The question was, out of everybody we've met, who gave us the most valuable piece of information? Um, Lonnie just conveniently walked away, so I can't. <laughs> God, that's hard. Uh, the first one I'll say is, it's going to sound corny, but probably my mom. <laughs> you know, I was going to graduate school and getting straight A's, and I had a full ride to graduate school, a very good school in art, gave um, me a full ride scholarship, and uh, she was living with me at the time, battling cancer, and I was getting straight. I, I graduated summa cum laude with 4.0 and this and that. And but uh, while doing that, I was spending 90% of my time studying nutrition and training. And what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing this? Just go do that. You know, and get out there and compete. She pushed me to compete, and I didn't until she passed. But um, that was a big impact on me, and that's what led me to doing what I love. And it was right after that, I, I got done with graduate school and I packed my bags and I took off time for seven months and, you know, worked at the Olympic Training Center and it was there that I met probably the next person that was most influential in my path, which was Calvin Neff. Um, I trained with him there. And out of all the people I met, um, you know, I, I, Dave Tate, Mark Bell, Jim Winner, blah, 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 and all these great people that I consider friends, um, Cal's that one that pushed me to just shut up and eat. Just eat and, and get strong. And, you know, Calvin was, uh, he, he started his career lifting with uh, um, guys like Taz and uh, Louis Simmons when he was young. But Phil said something uh, once a long time ago, and you know what, Neil deGrasse Tyson says this too. I know that's a weird combination, but he says, you know, he never had a single mentor. His, he sort of creates this amalgam, this like hybrid of all of the favorite parts of several mentors. And I think that's a good idea. I think if you follow just West Side or just, you know, one guy or another, you're sort of limiting yourself in that way. You know, because everybody's, you know what they say about a business, you know, and uh, everybody's got one, right? So. It amazes me that I can do that, the people I've been blessed with meeting and, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's amazing the people in this field. When you get past, like we've talked about it before, when you get past that level of people that just, they're just good enough to have an attitude, and you get up to the truly good people, and the people that are at the top, they're, they're, they're genuine, real people. Something like 85% of the energy for muscular contraction is from previously stored glycogen. Only maybe 10 or 15% is what's in your blood sugar right now. But low blood sugar right now can make you feel weak and shaky, and that sucks. And easily digestible, that Bill said, right? I once asked, um, she was the head of the nutrition program at the Cleveland Clinic where I was interning, and I said, why don't we feed people stuff like um, Ensure and Boost and Sustacal? If I look at these labels, this stuff is not in the corn oil and sugar. This looks rich. She said, you know what? Because it's easily digestible and it tastes good at a time where these people, they're not very hungry. 
and you've got to get something in them. I still think they could have stuck in something good. You know? Okay, so my question for you is, what are you learning right now? What are you trying to accomplish? So I'm, I'm Joe Poland. I'm from Indianapolis. Um, right now we're, uh, we're working on deadlifts with Phil. Uh, I'm about uh, 6'2 and change, and I have a long torso. And um, sometimes I don't really know how exactly my squat should compare to, let's say, the, the standard squat. And Phil is, is really teaching me that I need to, to get my, my, butt, my butt down a little more, my back up, and then uh, do more of a pull. Because when I, when I maxed yesterday, um, I... Uh, I kind of straightened my knees out and then just had to, you know, bend my back straight up from kind of 90 degrees, and I'm feeling it today, so that's what we're working on. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you're working on. Justin Hess. I'm working on a clean and press, something that's been very new to me considering from a football background, I learned how to do the power clean, so it's a new form of function of dropping underneath the bar and resetting to actually do it properly and make it look good. So. What's the hardest hardest part for you? Getting my mind to work with the body. You know? <laughs> Learning the movement, basically. I'm slow at that when it comes to especially technical lifts. Or I saw Phil suggesting you know, keep elbows up, elbows out. Do you feel like, uh, is that weird for you? Yeah, I don't have the mobility for it. And like he was talking about, you don't want to catch your collarbone. I'm only training at 95 pounds already, and I've caught it on my collarbone. I can imagine the elite guys catching, you know, 200 kilogram or right. kilos on their on so their collarbone. You said you're used to power cleans. Is it? Do you feel like it's having to unlearn what you learned a little bit? Like you've got habits Def- in place? Definitely, because you know, like as a lineman, I learned to just shoot up real quick. Where this is more using a hip drive get underneath the bar versus trying to have a powerful explosive outwards right so it's just trying to get under something versus just exploding it forward so, so. the goal the intent of the lift is actually different right it's to make the lift not to train something yeah it's else. completely different <laughs> okay so maybe tell everyone who you are at what you're working on what did you learn today My name is Elisha Hess, and I learned something completely new, Um, Olympic lifting. We worked on our snatch today. Um, I think I got all the way up to over 53 pounds um, on my snatch. Lots of repetition, but it was super fun. I think I'll keep doing it. What was most surprising about it or most difficult for you to overcome? Unlearning all the other lifting techniques that I've learned over the last couple of years. It was very difficult to loosen up in ways that you don't you don't loosen up when you do power lifting um i get to use my flexibility a lot more which is unlike what you get to do with bodybuilding and powerlifting. so that was kind of cool okay so it's great to get to know everybody um the lifting's done that sort of thing this is just a hotel room so sort of impromptu but this is the kind of thing that organically grows out of these kinds of meetings i guess but these workshops and whatnot but uh, just, let me plug into the TV here, and I'm just going to show you some stuff on, um, it's just called New Caffeine Science, Our Strength Athletes Missing the Boat. Uh, now, that's a title that is sort of, you know, invocative of, well, what do you mean? How are we missing the boat? Clearly, caffeine works, but there's a lot to this, and I think, first of all, uh, if we look at the nervous system, a lot of strength coaches talk about it like it's just one thing. And, of course, there are many parts of it, and they all start to change once a person starts to uh, weight train, resistance train. Um, 
the premotor cortex, their motor cortex, down the descending corticospinal tracts, right? The, the motor nerves out to their muscles, the end plate that touches the muscle. And then we're also interested in some things about how cognition relates to this. Like, what if you cognitively or emotionally feel wired from a whopping dose of caffeine, but it's not translating into bar velocity or power output like you might feel it is. So we've been looking at a couple of things, uh, targets, if you will, in the lab about uh, what we might be able to manipulate better. Uh, most of our research using squatting and benching is showing maybe a 8 to 12% enhancement of power output or bar velocity after a person drinks two packets of via instant coffee. And those are loaded with caffeine compared to regular instant coffee. Regular instant coffee might have 60 or 70 milligrams uh, in a serving. Uh, in a cup, and Via has 164 plus or minus three, so it's maybe two and a half times the amount of caffeine in there. As far as targeting parts of the nervous system, you could combine this cleverly with training. I mean, that's what sports nutrition is, right? Here and combine uh, consumption of something, intake of something, with a particular type of training. And the spinal reflex is one of the things that we're really looking at, the stretch reflex in this case. So there are these spinal reflex loops, right, where as soon as a muscle gets stretched, you have these proprioceptors lying amongst your muscle fibers, right, um, intrafusal fibers. Uh, they send a message to your spine, and then without you having to really think about it, immediately a motor neuron will leave the spine, go right back out to the muscle in a reflex arc that makes the muscle contract more forcefully. So the idea would be, uh, and it's sort of a simple notion, but if you bathe this whole circuit from the stretched muscle to the spinal cord and then right back to the stretched muscle that is going to contract again um, or about to contract, then bathing that in um, stimulant compounds, right, because coffee will increase epinephrine, for example, we're seeing that in the lab, norepinephrine, uh, then maybe you get a more enhanced stretch reflex. Doing some pilot work in the lab and looking at some animal studies, it looks like instead of getting maybe an 8 to 12% boost, and in fact, with squats, uh, we were using Smith machine squats for a couple different reasons, but it was even less than, you know, the 8 to 12%. But Animal research and some of the toying with energy drinks like I've done in the lab last summer. In fact, that's, I wrote an article on T-Nation about this last year. But they suggest a 50% enhancement of subsequent force output after prior stretch. Well, if that pans out, uh, that's amazing because think about this. So maybe you're, you can't take caffeine all the time. Uh, I, there was a question earlier, of course, can I you know, use caffeine twice a day and double spike my performance. And that may be the case, but in some people, you're going to pay the price uh, with anxiety or sleeplessness or poor recovery or something like that. The point being, though, is that if you're going to selectively target uh, parts of the nervous system in training, then maybe plyometric day or speed day is a better time to do this. Because if you can augment your stretch reflex, this force output by 50%, that's not 15, 50, then that's going to create potentially an amazing training effect. A super training effect suggests that if you could train above your ability, let's say for the next six months, 
uh, you're going to be one explosive dude at the end of that time because your nervous system will structurally, physically start to adapt and you'll become that, right? You'll become that more explosive individual. So if you're going to do speed work with a spot prior stretch uh, or plyometric type stuff, which purposely, you know, invokes that stretch reflex, then those might be the days that you have those two cups of uh, via or some kind of strong coffee. These next couple of slides just show some very cool um, insights, I think, for a lot of people as to how we look at this stuff in the lab. So we've got pictures, just a slideshow format here of the ballistic measurement system that we use. It's like a tendo, uh, but it gives you this waveform that you see on the left here, and we can sample part of that rep or across several reps and get bar velocity, uh, rate of force development, which is sort of like an acceleration thing, like a dragster, think of like from going zero to 200 in no time flat, uh, power output, time to peak power. There are so many variables that this uh, device can give us. Uh, so we use that. This next slide is electrodes. So whether it's on your pecs or your triceps or on the, the vastus lateralis here on the quads on the right, uh, we're trying to get at mechanisms here, right? Can we see more electricity dumping down your wires and into the muscle uh, when we manipulate things like a stretch reflex, uh, speed work, and caffeine? This next one just shows a single printout of some blood work that we're doing and, and a picture of you know how we're getting the blood work, of course. But um, you can see there, there is something going on uh, with some of the... Um, catecholamines. So, for example, if you look at the norepinephrine numbers pre and post coffee, that's before any exercise. That's just before they have the coffee drink and then 90 minutes later, boy, clearly coffee is strongly evoking these catecholamines. And of the three catecholamines, right, epinephrine, which is adrenaline, uh, norepinephrine, and, um, and dopamine, these things could very well affect the stretch reflex when you look at some of the rodent data and that sort of thing. So I guess what I'm saying is the story is sort of coming together. Pilot work, animal work, uh, and some of building on our prior work in the lab, it's really suggesting that there's something going on. So maybe we're targeting uh, training and parts of the nervous system better. So we talked a little bit about several of these things. Uh, as far as cognition and does it correlate with motor performance? Actually, no, that's not what we're finding, at least not in a linear way. More is not better, I guess is what I'm saying. So you might think if you look at this diagram here, this graph, um, we see a change in the sensation of energy. So from on, on the x-axis on the bottom there, the horizontal axis from low to high, you could see people who really didn't feel an energy enhancement to people who really felt wired. And then on the y-axis, we have um, the enhancement to bar velocity. So one might expect the more alert and wired you feel on the x-axis, the faster the bar velocity on the y-axis, on the vertical axis. But in fact, the correlation is pretty poor. It's 0.22. So it's not like more is better. Now, don't confuse this with the, the idea that, oh, a coffee only makes you feel wired. It doesn't help your performance. No, we know it does. Again, in traditional kinds of strict lifts, strict reps, it is that 8 to 12% boost in the bench press. It might only be, you know, 3 or 4% in the squat, depending on the variable. But there, we know there's a boost. This is just suggesting that once you get past that idea that the coffee does enhance 
the rep uh, is more better. And in, when you look at this diagram here, more is not better. It's not a linear correlation, you know, with more and more sens sensation of energy leading to more and more bar velocity, uh, bar speed. So the next graph, this is just something to help understand this. Uh, instead of looking for that linear more is better, which I think a lot of athletes do with their pre-workout formulas, and which are largely based on caffeine, this U-shaped curve suggests how it really probably is. And I think if you give it some thought, you'll recognize this, that there's an initial boost with more and more alertness. Yep, it's causing more bar speed or more power output. But then it sort of dips off, actually. And when you plot our data, it does look like this. It's like this inverted U where you get a boost up to a certain state of alertness and um, focus and energy. And then you're probably too wired. Uh, and it's not really panning out into actual motor performance. So we simply measure the um, the sense of alertness and energy and all that just with a simple questionnaire. You know, on a seven scale or a five scale, uh, how alert do you feel? You know, and then we can see that by asking that on a, a placebo day, like a decaffeinated coffee day. Of course, the subject doesn't know it's decaf. And then comparing that to real coffee or even a water condition, we can get an idea about their psychological sensations, right? The cognition and the psychological psychostimulant effects. Uh, and then we'll go expose them to the ballistic measurement uh, machine. Again, it's like a Tendo. And, um, and see if that's equally boosted. So that's how we get at the psychological versus the motor stuff. It's just fun to compare. And I think it's surprising that more is not better. Uh, and I think a lot of um, advertisers make it seem like more is better when it comes to caffeine and pre-workouts. Uh, as far as dosing and application go, uh, the dose for an ergogenic boost from caffeine is between 3 and 6 milligrams per kilogram of your body weight. So, of course, take your pound, weight in pounds, divide by 2.2. Uh, you know, that's your weight in kilos. Multiply that by three to six. That's the ergogenic range. Uh, and importantly, the magic timing is about 60 minutes prior uh, to testing or to lifting. So there's been studies that suggest maybe we should wait a little longer until we get a maximal uh, plasma concentration, right? Caffeine in the blood. Uh, but that actually didn't pan out in performance as much as a lot of people had hoped. So blood values may not be reflecting the whole picture. There may be something going on neurologically. But anyway, it's about one hour uh, pre-lift. The last few slides here are what we're going to share in Japan, and it's really just about withdrawal. And I can't share too much data because we haven't presented this yet. Uh, but the idea here would be that... Um, if you're habituated, you know, a lot of people talk about, I feel headache and I have withdrawal and that, this and that. So if you're habituated and you're regularly using pre-workouts or coffee, and I would, I would strongly uh, suggest and think that most people do, they don't just use it once, um, do you get a blunted response? Uh, the long story short, uh, maybe a little bit of blunting, but it doesn't abolish the effect. And we went into that study with that as our hypothesis, of course, because if you completely lost the cognitive or the motor effects, the benefits of, of coffee and caffeine, it wouldn't be the most popular drink in the world, right? People keep drinking it for a reason. 
So uh, again, uh, after we share that data, I'll be able to put some numbers on it. Uh, but the usual enhancement, for example, in the bench press, will just suffice it to say it doesn't go away. And then finally, just a, a quick note here, you know, spread the word, help support the lab. If you like the idea that we're actually doing research specifically on people with barbell training experience, and we're trying to look at some of these, these effects and answer questions like, do boys and girls respond the same to caffeine or coffee or pre-workouts? Or if you're habituated, uh, does it continue to really help your workouts? These are important questions, and uh, we're a special population. And so our lab looks at that. And the, this final slide is really just showing some pictures from the, around the lab, the EMG, right, with the electrodes and whatnot, and the ballistic measurement system. And there's some stuff on here, us measuring the caffeine content of uh, the VIA samples uh, over in the chemistry lab with HPLC. So there's, there's lots of stuff that we do. And if you support this, and I'll... Hopefully, I'll put some of this on the podcast as well. Um, boy, support it. You could easily just go to ironradio.org and donate. Uh, you could even make a little comment. You know, this is for the research. That's cool. I want more of this. You know, targeting uh, use of pre-workouts. And I like this idea of super training effect uh, and that sort of thing. It's just one of the many questions that we're answering in the lab. So thanks, guys. And um, we'll see you early tomorrow for breakfast. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast 
and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.